Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of Nerdy Show Book Club. What you just listened to was our amazing book club theme. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex. Hi, I'm Brandon. Oh, I'm Colin. And we are going to learn you some books today, children. Shoe Mercy. That's Shoe right, Cap read the help. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> uh, I read I read the help manual to all of Photoshop. <laughs> I don't need that shit. your brain. He's going to read an excerpt from it later. <laughs> I'm gonna recite all the hotkeys. <laughs> F1. Well, uh, guys, the response to Nerdy Show Book Club has been fantastic. In the interim between this episode and the last, we actually got three pieces of fan mail. Um, so, was that a pun when you said fantastic? <laughs> well, no, but okay. I'll take it. Why not? <laughs> Chortle. Cha ching. <laughs> Chortle. <laughs> Is that a Pokemon? <laughs> Anyway. Um, oh my god. <laughs> certainly someone's done that. Spit they on must the have. mic, sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, we are going to talk about the book that the community read together, To Your Scattered Bodies Go. Go! Go! <laughs> to Your Scattered Bodies Go! See now, is that is that like a statement? Because I'm not versed in the literary world like you guys. Uh, it's a... Is it like literally a command? Like you two are scattered bodies go. Or last I was episode say, when I told you that it was actually a, a reference to. Next, do I ever pay attention? No, I don't even know where I am. Who's it by? Who's I've forgotten? Who's it by? What's it? I forgot too. You have the book right in front of you. I don't have the notes. Oh. It's not. Philip Jose Farmer. It's Philip Jose Farmer, Hugo Award-winning writer. Philip Jose Farmer. Did a Hugo for this book? Um, I don't know if this one of the Hugo, oh, Hugo Award Best Novel. There you go. Yeah, yeah. so we're going to be talking about To Your Scattered Bodies Go. We're going to be talking about all the books that we've read um, between uh, last episode and this episode. Doing a, a reading from a uh, an adaptation of a film, as as we always do, and reading these fan letters. So, uh, Hex, who, who you got for us? Who, who wrote in? <clears throat> First one is from Rackety Daniel, who is actually from Serbia. All the way from Serbia. Yeah, so uh, I am a new listener, but after doing so for a few episodes of your book club, I find my, I found myself going through some of your backlog. I would just like to take the time and thank you for doing a book review podcast, for there are far too few good ones. Having searched around, I have found you have not, from as far as I can tell, handled two of my favorite series of books. The first being urban fantasy and a type of book that is not often very good, it, but this is a great example of how to do it right. 
This is the Dresden Files. Who? Yeah. Was uh, uh, the Dresden Files recently uh, fought a long, hard battle against Paranoia XP in our tabletop role-playing game uh, RPG support drive, where we were going to do a one-off episode of of, a, of the chosen system by the fans. The Dresden Files tabletop system was a was a hard fight. I only knew no Dresden Files because of the television show, which I've never watched, but also I've never heard good things about, but apparently the books are amazing. Yep, the books are amazing. Yeah, um, I actually have the first... I have Stormfront uh, sitting on my bookshelf, awaiting to be ridden. <laughs> What's that? Ridden? Let me finish Redden this letter. Let me finish to this my letter. brain. <laughs> Raggedy Daniel, sorry for interrupting. <clears throat> the Dresden Files. I would love to hear something on these books from you guys, or at least knowing that I have pointed them out to you, if you do not, in fact, already know about them. I always find it hard to suggest a good place to start off. The first three books are a lot older, and you can definitely tell that Jim Butcher is learning. Book five is usually in everyone's top favorites, and it does not have too many spoilers. The second book series is dark fantasy for mature readers, as I like to consider it, as it does not uh, use the usual things that annoy me about dark fantasy. The Emo Angst, the Black Company series of books by Glenn Cook. I would suggest to anybody with a love of reading to try this. And if he does not have one, they are a great place to develop one. Seeing that you're on a sci-fi arc, maybe to contribute a bit of something there, perhaps, check into Vada's War Witch. I consider it to be one of the best military sci-fi books I've read. Thanks for the show from a new les- uh, listener out in Serbia. Greetings, Rackety Daniel. Thanks so much for writing in, Rackety. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, this is by Sammy Nadehart. It's from Sammy. Sammy! Hi, guys. Who I'm pretty hmm. sure I'm pretty sure this is Sammy, who I'm friends with on Tumblr. So, Sammy writes, I would like to recommend a book, well, a book series, but baby steps here. If you haven't already, y'all should check out Pawn of Prophecy by David Eddings. It's the first of the Belgariad series, which is five books long. There's also a second tie-in series called The Malorian, which is five books as well, along with two follow-up books, Belgareth the Sorcerer and Polgara the Sorceress. It's a lot of books. Long ago, the storyteller claimed, in, the, in this first book of the Belgariad, the evil god Torak drove men and gods to war. But Belgareth the Sorcerer, but Belgareth the Sorcerer, there's a lot of complicated names I can't fucking pronounce, god damn it. <laughs> I should spell everything out phonetically. But Belgarth the Sorcerer led men to reclaim the orb that protected men of the West. So, so long as it lay at Riva, the prophecy went, men would be safe. Although maybe Riva, I don't know. But Garion did not believe in such stories. Brought up on a quiet farm by his aunt, Paul. Paul? Paul. <laughs> it's P-O-L, I don't know. Let's just say by his aunt, Paul. <laughs> Paul, by his aunt Paul. <laughs> his auntie Paul. Sister, brought, up, brought up on a quiet farm by his auntie Paul. How could he... <laughs> how could he know that the... <laughs> that the prostrate planned... No, sorry. Know that the apostate planned to wake dread Torak or that he would be led on a quest of unparalleled magic and danger by those he loved but did not know. Taken from Amazon.com. <laughs> he, he, he writes he writes because he says he can't summarize for anything and clearly I can't read she, without proofreading. She. she. I'm sorry. Sammy is obviously a feminine name. I knew that. I knew that. At least once a year. Okay, I skipped a line. <laughs> Continuing. 3, 2, 1, fuck you. 
This has been one of my favorite series since I first read it when I was probably 9 or 10. I reread it at least once a year, and I highly recommend it. Happy reading. Well, thanks for writing in, Sammy. I don't think any of us have checked out that uh, that particular series, but uh, we'll keep an eye out for it. Definitely uh, <laughs> definitely something of a commitment with that many books, but hey, if it's as awesome as you say, then it, it won't be like anything, will it? Uh, next up is a short letter from Tolan, uh, an old guard from the uh, Nerdy Show uh, fan crew. Hey guys, I was just perusing Hex's Tumblr account, and I noticed that he recommended this address to suggest a book for the book club. That address is, of course, info at nerdyshow.com, where you can submit whatever you want. Also, there's uh, plenty of book club uh, threads on the forums that will... Uh, look into. So I thought I'd toss in my two cents. Have you heard of the book Ready Player One by Ernest Cline? Well, don't jump the gun, Colin. Uh, it's the same guy who wrote the Fanboys movie. The book is amazing. Half the story is d- this dystopian cross between The Matrix and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The other half is a long love letter to nerd culture in the 80s. This book references everything from the Tomb of Horrors to the Japanese Spider-Man show, Spider-Man, to uh, War Games, to Buckaroo Banzai, and many, many more. Even if you don't use it for the show, read this book or check out the audiobook. It's read by Will Wheaton. Oh my god, what? Yep. Will- okay. Will Wheaton? Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. No, Tolan, uh, that is going to be the, not to give it away, but the next time the rotation comes around to me, that will be the book that I recommend. I read it. Uh, actually, I would talk about it this month, but I'm not going to because we're going to talk about it when we actually do the, you know, the monthly read read along. Well, you said not to give it away, but you did just. You did, yeah, you did actually do that. Oh, Colin, I hate you. You blew it, kid. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about. Great shot, that was one in a million. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Don't worry, man. I recognize how great that book is, and we will talk about it at length. Anyway. Anyway, let's. Uh, we'll cut to a track, and uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about To Your Scattered Bodies Go. So what I have is Tetris Plays You. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. Clearly, this is a Russian thing. Uh, in April 1st, uh, there was this thing called Vocal Clocked Remix, which was the OC Remix joke of the year. Their April Fool's Day joke. It's kind of heavily uh, coordinated by our good pal, Level 99. And uh, he was on half the tracks. And this track recently surfaced up on the uh, OC Remix uh, feed of tracks that they uh, publicly release. And not many of the Vocal Clock remixes have actually seen the light of day since April 1st. But this one did. And I'm like, oh, oh this gave me a laugh again. I guess I'll uh, I'll showcase this. So this is uh, blo- uh, done by Block Party. Which uh, features uh, Jillian Aversa, Palpable, Diotrance, Zircon, and our boy, Level 99. So uh, it's a great track. It's pretty hilarious to listen to. Enjoy. You know, back in the mother country. <laughs> is this where I come in? I am the square, you can put me over there In the middle or the corner, I don't care okay. Look at me, perfect symmetry Rotate all you want, it's the same you see Yeah. 
then we'll start the party. Oops, I forgot to fit in my shot. Guess I'm stuck here now. stand for this yeah this is like total crap Ugh. that's it i quit me too Way, vive la resistance. Oh, back to soviet union yeah tetra is too hard all right so the book we read uh in between this episode and the previous nerdy show book club was to your scattered bodies go yeah by philip jose farmer philip jose farmer jose farmer philip jose farmer yeah c which is gracias. Now, Hex, this is your book choice, so uh, kindly introduce it to the listeners, please. <clears throat> Every single person who has ever lived wakes up. Or has ever died. Or has ever died, I should, we should say. Good, good job. Thank you. Good job, Brandon. Who has ever died wakes up on the, uh, the bank of this impossible planet where it is just wrapped around and around and around by this river. And along the river are strange natural delineations kind of like paddocks of uh, unscalable mountains with this valley this idyllic valley where people hang out and where everything is given to them and it's kind of like a heaven because whatever they're given all this gift and and drugs and whatever they want daily they don't have to do anything and it follows uh, the adventures of real life hero adventurer and badass and not so good person richard francis burton as he goes you know what fuck heaven (laughs) richard burton's gonna shake the pillars of heaven (laughs) (laughs) at the very first chapter and we're gonna in our little intro we're gonna spoil it for you but it's chapter one so it's not much of a spoiler he wakes up during some weird procedure and he sees everyone before they wake up on the banks of the river. And so making him think, this is not some supernatural phenomenon. This is something There's more. something else going on behind the scenes. Something more sinister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this book, it's uh, it was written... Uh, when, when was it written? Like the 60s, 70s? 1971. And so it has a little bit of, uh, of, of future stuff in there because though uh, Francis Burton, he died 
a, a long while back, like in the eighteen uh, hundreds. Yeah. He, um, he encounters people from present day who know what like televisions are. He encounters an alien who died on Earth via sort of somewhat accidentally, unwillingly wiping out a huge portion of Earth's population. And it's weird because it's like it's not everyone who's ever lived universally. It's everyone who's ever lived on Earth wakes up on the shore and they're naked, but they've got this weird stick attached to their wrist and they can plug it into a module that then supplies them with a random assortment of food and weird-ass supplies that you don't really need, like cigarettes. Well, it's not a stick. They, have, they actually have a giant cylinder connected to them. It's not a yeah, giant a cylinder, cylinder, but they, they, it's like it's like the size of like, like a lunchbox. They said it was two and a half feet tall. Is it two and a half? I just read that. It, it's a big tubular lunchbox you can kind of beat people up with if you yeah. want to. Yeah. And um, also, no one has any hair. Uh, they start off with For no now. hair. And it does grow, but no facial hair Spoilers. grows. Spoilers. So that's the general plot of it. If you actually want to read the book and don't want it spoiled for you, just click ahead to the next section of this uh, this podcast because we're going to get into it right now. What were your guys' thoughts on it? Because well, I've I'm the only one here who hasn't finished it. So let me let me okay, yeah, let me yeah. explain yeah. what yeah, I'm going to unload, please. Now it's not a very long book. It was only like 200 and something pages. I read a fourth of it in you know like two hours, if even. And you know it's not that long. You could finish it in a day. When I first started reading the book, it reminded me a lot of a video game. I know what you're saying. What the fuck are you talking about? But if you've ever played the old, like, puzzle games or the point-and-click games, kind mm. of, like, missed, it reminded me of that. You know, you start off, you have no idea what's going on, you find these weird objects, you find this weird environment, you find these tools, people are speaking different languages, you don't know what to use on what or where to go, and it's kind of like a puzzle game. You, they slowly have to figure out what everything does and what they should be doing, and I really, really enjoyed that aspect. Basically, half of what I've read so far is just, you know, eating and skinning people, which is also good. No book has ever reminded me of Colin more than this so far. I'm only a fourth of the way through it. So I think it's important to mention that Colin and Brandon have an interesting relationship, or, or a pact, I guess you would call it. Where it's just on my side, really. Right, where, where at some point... Uh, no, I've agreed to this. I've agreed to at, this. At some point, Brandon is going to skin Colin and wear him as a coat. Um, I don't remember how or why this started. He's going but... to be alive. Okay. Um, I'm going to keep him alive when it happens because the skin is better that way. It's fresher. It's right, it's right. Uh, there's yep. more fear in the skin, which is what I need. Um, true. But I don't know where it came from. Lots of years uh, of deep-seated hate, regret, guilt. I can support that. Yeah. I I, all I know is that it started in high school and it has n never stopped. It started with me fucking and... a stuffed animal tiger and ending with me wanting to skin Colin. <laughs> yes. It's true. I don't know where that comes from, but there it is. But I have told Brandon that when I am old, but then you your know, skin will I'm be wrinkly, Colin. Get, well, get no, real. Get serious. You said it. You said well, whatever the case. I said a lot I, of things I don't mean. Older, when I'm older, and I just see Brand. Well, I see. This is the image that I have: is that I'm in a wheelchair and I'm like 90 years old or whatever it is, and then Brandon walks up to me and he still looks exactly the way that he is because Brandon doesn't age. <laughs> And he's brandishing a knife, and I'm just like, okay. And there it is. <laughs> he closes his eyes, and I get to work. So That's right. Burton is uh, definitely skilled in, in this because uh, he, he just leaps on the chance to make uh, leather out of human skin when the first person dies. For, like, for instance, yeah, like, as soon as someone dies, like, no one, everyone's brought back. No one knows that you can even die again. Suddenly someone is dead, and his first reaction is, we could totally use that dead body for, to make tools out of it. And everyone's just looking at him like, what the? Who is this guy? What is wrong with him? And he's just like, what? We got nothing else. And they're like, yeah, for uh, real. Okay. And, and it sounds logic, but it's not. 
But it's just like the first thing he jumps to conclusion is like, I'm gonna use this dead body. Not like, what happened? Or, wow, that sucks. No, I'm gonna use this body to skin. Yes, of all things, uh, Francis Burton is definitely very practical and very pragmatic. One of the interesting things that goes into understanding this is that it's this basically fan fiction with historical figures. Yeah. In the last episode, Hex outlined a little bit of who Burton was in reality, and they touch on it in this book, in this kind of... I mean, I, I get the impression that the dude who wrote this was... Either, total, total Burton fanboy. Right. Well, I think he's a he's a historian fanboy, and they mention there's a character in this book who's like from modern times and knows an awful lot about Burton and had researched him and was going to write a book on him. And that's totally the author in this book. This definitely smacks of... Uh, Paul Frigate, was that his name? Yeah, it was, it was Frigate. Frigate's <clears throat> like... I no, was, no, I was going to write a book on you at some point, but it didn't happen. Instead, no, that I, is that is straight up Philip Jose Farmer. Okay. Straight up. I mean, what are his initials? Paul Frigate. Oh. Philip Farmer. Oh, look at that. You're so smart. Did you look at that online? I knew that while reading oh, that. Well, then you're genuinely smart. <laughs> I wouldn't go that I far. I stand erection. <laughs> so. <laughs> I stand erected. It, it's... It's interesting that this is this is basically historical fan fiction in another setting, and I mean, sure, why not? Roll with it. Nothing wrong with that. And Burton isn't the only historical figure. Like uh, like we said, it's every person who's ever died. So the next person you meet is weirdly enough Alice Liddell, the former young girl who Lewis Carroll based Alice in Wonderland off of. And what's weird is they don't really go into it ever, <laughs> but there it is. Yeah, she's like, like the she's the lead romantic interest. <laughs> Go fig. Well, Frigate alludes that he knows who it is, but he's like, but we'll get to that later. And you're like, oh, okay. They don't. Yeah, they, they don't. don't. <laughs> it's like, that's for the reader, not the and characters. I've read the whole series, and they don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> How many books are there in this series? Uh, last I counted, this there were This is the Riverworld series. Five, and uh, really, you can stop at four. <laughs> okay. I'll take your word for it. I really wanted to read no, five. No, I won't take your word for it. And, and actually, in the <laughs> this book ends with some statement that's like, and in the next Riverworld book, follow the adventures of Samuel Clemens yep. as he builds a steamboat or something. Yep. So that's actually my favorite book. The second book is fan fiction about Mark Twain, and it's it's really well done. I love it. So the it, fabulous Riverboat is a fabulous book. It, it's neat, especially since Burton is a figure whom, prior to last episode when you talked about him, I didn't even actually know about him. And he's quite accomplished and a very uh, eccentric and exceptional historical figure. Well, he did um, defeat Lopin that one time. That was his son, Jack. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, it's his great-great-grandson, rather. <laughs> What's interesting about this book is that they tell you some things, but they don't tell you everything about him. I think it really benefited an awful lot of your, um, your lead into this book, Hex, in last episode, actually. I think I would have uh, been considerably more lost had it not been for that. As, as far as understanding the main character goes. As a bit of a history nerd myself, back when I first read this, back before my household had the internet, uh, we actually had uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. And so I actually read up on Richard Francis Burton while like, I'm like, who is this? I'm so intrigued. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a real guy! See, that's the good thing about this book is I don't know who the fuck any of these people are, but... When you read it, it makes you want to go back into the real world and go, wow, okay, let me check out who these people actually are. Because I didn't do that before. Wow, Kaz the Caveman was real. <laughs> <laughs> he, wrote a, he wrote a biography of it? <laughs> I mean, it's just a, a picture of him stabbing a cow, but that's... That's a good that's, autobiography. That's a good bi- Yeah, it's not bad. But have you smelled it? 
it's really all about we'll smelling come to the it. piece of it. So yeah. yeah. Overall, uh, I enjoyed the experience. It was um, it was an enjoyable read. It was very strange, and like Direwolf said on the forums, you really have no idea where it's going to go next. It's kind of all over the place, and that's a good thing. It's not as predictable as most books are nowadays. You could tell the guy was just writing because he wanted to be writing. It was a very passionate project, so it kind of makes it a shame that when it ends, it's very much like there's always going to be a follow-up book. Right. It's not self-contained. Like I said, the, the first four books, they really feel like the story once you get through one two three four you're like wow i get actually get it and all uh, number five is dollar dollar bills y'all uh, yeah i wouldn't <laughs> say it's dollar dollar bills y'all that's it's basically that's the 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 fan fiction equivalent of you're typing with one hand at that point he's like he's well, what is he doing he's, with the other hand? he's so excited over the things he's having these historical figures doing oh that typing with one hand and then the yeah. keys get jammed and the words come out all wrong but i mean until then it's really cool I really enjoyed it. What does he make people do in the fifth book? Yeah, why is the fifth book so bad, Hex? Because we're obviously never going to get to the fifth book. You should just read it. You should. Who bones in the fifth book, Hex? I don't even remember who survives to the fifth book. Because <laughs> is it the alien? Jesus bones Mark Twain? <laughs> <laughs> but don't take our word for it. <laughs> da 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 da. LeVar Burton. Oh, LeVar Burton. <laughs> LeVar Burton. <laughs> Colin, what were your thoughts on the book? Um, I guess I, li- I liked it. I, honestly, if, for me, the book was relatively, since it was so all over the place and it was obviously not leading towards a conclusion, it, it, to me it felt really slow. I'm also a slower reader, so books that, if they're not, like, really, 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 really well-paced, I find them slow. So that's just my personal opinion. But I did enjoy a lot of the ideas in this book. I I did enjoy how in this story you have this world where they're basically rebuilding humanity in any way that they necessarily decide how to how to rebuild humanity like the groups of different cultures coming together and going to war or building a society like the nazis you know building concentration camps uh, and just redoing all of that shit they did just cuz all that stuff i found really interesting also the stuff where he was basically just killing himself over and over and over and over and over again like 700 plus times to get to the different part to basically get to the end of the river yeah let's let's discuss what i I haven't gotten to that part yet and that sounds so something i would like here's what the event for a long time because they show up and they don't know what's going on there isn't exactly what you'd call a plot and then Burton decides what his quest in this other world should be. It starts with the idea of, I need to find the people who I know are masterminding this whole situation. But then it also turns into, I know this river ends somewhere. And at one point, he hears rumors about it. And then at one point, he actually sees this big tower, like at the end of the world. And by coincidence, shows up there and is killed almost immediately by some basically yetis who've been brought there because they're an offshoot of the human race. Yeah, like some prehistoric, you know, race. And so he he gets killed by yetis while hanging out with his Nazi buddy. Herman Goering. Herman Goering, Nazi pal. And, uh... (laughs) Crazy Nazi pal. Yeah, really. Really, like... That that fucker is nuts. How much do you know about Goering, Hex? Like, I haven't read up on him. Like, seriously? Seriously? I was... uh, Like, I would love to do a study and write 
some kind of wacky adventure involving Hitler and the higher echelon of the Nazi party, because those fuckers were all Jack Kirby Stanley level villains. Like, they were all fucked up in their own special way. Hermann Goering was no exception to this. So so all of his insecurities and, and weird character traits, they're not just speculation. That they're, is they're not, based on that's not Philip Jose Farmer just poking fun at the, the resident Nazi. That's him going, <laughs> let's take an actual fucked up member of the Nazi party and continue to make fun of him. Yeah, this guy's pretty broken. It, and it, and it, it all it turns into comedy after a while. Like his, he's so he's so tragic and self destructive. How do I take these really evil Nazis and make them a fun loving comedy kind of guy? Let's do it. <laughs> I became my BFF Goering. Well, it's actually, <laughs> well, it's actually really like really tragic because he becomes addicted to the stuff that that, that they call the dream gum. Yeah, because which, because they supply the people with narcotics in their in their grails, which is the name of their I'm weird sorry, did lunch you say shafts. Dream gum. Dream gum. Yeah. Dream okay, gum, it yeah, sounded differently. <laughs> I was gonna say I wouldn't eat that. <laughs> But you never but, know, given the circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> but they, um, anyway, so they chew this gr- dream gum, and it gives them, like, horrible nightmares of basically, like, past experiences of their lives, um, like, really traumatic experiences of their lives that they end up dreaming. And as he continues to be addicted to this dream gum, he then uh, has worse and more and more frequent of these horrible, nightmarish, very realistic dreams of things that have happened to him in the past. So that continues to make him crazy as he can't differentiate between what is real and what is not. And Burton somehow gets his um, his respawn because you, you die and you come back and you die and you come back and you die and you come back. He gets his respawn accidentally connected with this crazy guy. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. And so things things get a little weird for a while there uh, until they get off sync with each other, which I thought was actually a very bizarre and interesting part of the book. Those two guys. Yeah. Um, like the Burton and Goering comedy hour. Yeah, and 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 then eventually, like the the people who are masterminding all this, they realize that Burton's trying to to find out who they are, and a bunch of weird things happen with like a guy who may be a traitor to the people who are masterminding it. They eventually figure out that Burton's trying to screw with them, and so they start hunting him. And Burton's way to evade them is. All right, I'll drown myself in the river over and over and over again. Haha, <laughs> jokes on them. Uh, and it's like it's like <laughs> reset button, reset button, reset button. Like Burton's such an interesting uh, character psychologically, and he's already been like prepared by his insane life as a human being that uh, that he's like, all right, so human life doesn't matter. All right, I'll just keep killing myself. Like he, Find he's me the now. kind of guy who lived his life with a like. I don't know if they existed yet, but you could imagine he'd be living with a cyanide pill. Like I'm ready to go at any moment, fucker. Like bring it. I don't fucking care. Well, yeah, care. it's because he's he's consider it's like he's using it as transportation. He knows that he's going right, to no, survive. But, but he, like even in life, he's like life is so disposable that he didn't give a shit about himself. And the moment it doesn't matter, life does continue. He's like, oh, well then, fuck it. Actually, that's really interesting because I find that that he's the exact opposite. I feel like he's exceptionally about himself. He's very self-absorbed, where he is he's searching for the end so that he can fulfill this insane desire to discover and for him to discover this thing. And that I feel like he it wouldn't be good enough using, if someone else did it. That's true. Well, yeah, I can... and and so the, the he using this death transportation machine is his way of just you know a means to the end not necessarily that he finds his life disposable i can sum burton up in like one possibly two sentences in the in like the first chapter he even says that he doesn't believe in any god besides himself and he just always assumed that the universe would cease to exist 
only when he dies. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much him in a nutshell. Also, my, my big question, Cap, is yeah. does one ethical hang lower than the other? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's my joke actually, yes, the, the, the traitor. He, he hangs out with the lowlies. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, <laughs> and you would be laughing. Out that the, 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 it turns out to be this, the ethicals actually do hang out with the rest of the people on the world to basically study them and stuff like that. So, it's pretty cool. It is cool. And I guess now would be a good time to uh, to do a reading of one of these sections from the book. Oh, can we do the part where they just end up just having sex with each other? Because if there's a fanboy section of the book, it's where all of these <laughs> historical figures fuck each other. I, I love that that's like a thing in every book we've read so far of like life-changing experience. Everybody fucks. And yeah, you know, it's not that it's not realistic. It's just like, you know, mandatory sex chapter. It happens. What? <laughs> To me, like, the, when my stepdad, and I already said this before in the last episode, but I want to emphasize this now, why the I chose the section I chose for the reading. When he handed me this book, he said, read the first chapter. If you don't like it, it's not for you. If you want to read chapter two, you won't stop. And I thought that was accurate, where it's like I couldn't, after I finished chapter one, I'm like, okay, let's bring it. This is awesome. I really feel that the strongest part of this book is the first few pages. Not that sure. I thought the rest of it wasn't strong, but it has such a great hook. Just like you have this feeling throughout the whole book of what the fuck is going on, I need to know more. You feel that most profoundly in the very first few pages. To Your Scattered Bodies Go by Philip Jose Farmer Chapter 1 It's a masterpiece theater. His wife had held him in her arms as if she could keep death away from him. He had cried out, My God! I am a dead man! The door to the room had opened, and he had seen a giant, black, one-humped camel outside, and had heard the tinkle of the bells on its harness as the hot desert wind touched them. Then a huge black face topped by a great black turban had appeared in the doorway. The black eunuch had come in through the door, moving like a cloud, with a gigantic scimitar in his hand. Death, the destroyer of delights and the sunderer of society, had arrived at last. Blackness. Nothingness. He did not even know that his heart had given out forever. Nothingness. Then his eyes opened. His heart was beating strongly. He was strong, very strong. All the pain of the gout in his feet, the agony in his liver, the torture in his heart, all were gone. It was so quiet, he could hear the blood moving in his head. He was alone in a world of soundlessness. A bright light of equal intensity was everywhere. He could see, yet he did not understand what he was seeing. What were these things above, below, beside him? Where was he? He tried to sit up and felt numbly a panic. There was nothing to sit up upon because he was hanging in nothingness. The attempt sent him forward and over very slowly as if he were in a bath of thin treacle. A foot from his fingertips was a rod of bright red metal. The rod came from above, from infinity, and went on down to infinity. He tried to grasp it because it was the nearest solid object, 
but something invisible was resisting him. It was as if lines of some force were pushing against him, repelling him. Slowly, he turned over in a somersault. Then the resistance halted him with his fingertips. <laughs> please, his fingertips. Please keep that in with his with his fingertips, okay. Fingertips, fingertips. Fingertips. <laughs> with his fingertips about six inches from the rod, he straightened his body out and moved forward a fraction of an inch. At the same time, his body began to rotate on its longitudinal axis. He sucked in air with a loud sighing noise. <sighs> Though he knew no hold existed for him, he could not help flailing his arms in panic to try to seize onto something. Now he was face down, or was it up? Whatever the direction, it was opposite of that toward which he had been looking when he had awakened. Not that this mattered. Above him and below him, the view was the same. He was suspended in space, kept from falling by an invisible and unfelt cocoon. Six feet below him was the body of a woman with a very pale skin. She was naked and completely hairless. She... <laughs> There's a bit of Tim Curry there. She was naked and completely hairless. <laughs> she seemed to be asleep. Her eyes were closed and her breasts rose and fell gently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not meant to be red pervy, but Hex is doing it anyway. Keep talking. Don't stop. Uh, I don't know. There's a little pervy. There's a little pervy. There's a little pervy. He tried to grab the rod. He was rotating. I mean, come on. Yes. Then the book actually is very male and very aggressively sexual most of the time. So it's there. It's not not there. But it's not exactly what you're doing. <laughs> Which is fine. I like it. <laughs> I'm trying to make this funny somehow. And so I, I knew I knew there was going to be a lot of nakedness. And so starting all dramatic and then... That's the naked uh, breasts breathing up and down. Hey, this is a newborn babe. <laughs> this is the same uh, pervy wizard that you had after the uh, crystal debacle with Jamal. <laughs> and the exact same wizard. Her legs were together and straight out, and her arms were by her side. She turned slowly, like a chicken on a spit. That's my favorite part. <laughs> when you describe a woman as a chicken, that's what turns me on. <laughs> <laughs> the same pulse that was rotating her was also rotating him. He spun slowly away from her, saw other naked and hairless bodies, men, women, and children. <laughs> Opposite him in silent spinning rows. Above him was the rotating naked and hairless body of a negro. <laughs> he lowered his head so that he could see along his own body. He was naked and hairless too. His skin was smooth, and the muscles of his belly were rigid, and his thighs were packed with strong young muscles. <laughs> oh, strong young muscles. The veins that had stood out like blue mole ridges were gone. He no longer had the body of the enfeebled and sick 69-year-old man who had been dying only a moment ago. 
and the hundred or so scars were gone. 69 year old man. You think that's a coincidence? It, it is. That's, <laughs> that's actually the age he died. So it is a coincidence. Well, that's why I was asking. Carry on. I said it is. He realized that there were no old men or women among the bodies surrounding him. All seemed to be about 25 years old, though it was difficult to determine the exact age, since the hairless heads and pubes made them seem older and younger (laughs) at the same time. He had boasted that he knew no fear. Now fear ripped away the cry forming in his throat. His fear pressed down on him and squeezed the new life from him. He had been stunted at first because he was still living. Then his position in space and the arrangement of his new environment had frozen his senses. He was seeing and feeling through a thick, semi-opaque window. After a few seconds, something snapped inside him. He could almost hear it, as if a window had suddenly been raised. The world took a shape which he could grasp, though he could not comprehend it. Above him, on both sides, below him, as far as he could see, bodies floated. They were arranged in vertical and horizontal rows. The up and down ranks were separated by red rods, slender as broomsticks, one of which was 12 inches from the feet of the sleepers and the other 12 inches from their heads. Each body was spaced about six feet from the body above and below and on each side. The rods came up from an abyss without bottom and soared into an abyss without ceiling. That grayness into which the rods and the bodies up and down right and left disappeared was neither the sky nor the earth. There was nothing in the distance except the lackluster of infinity. On one side was a dark man with Tuscan features. On his other side was an Asiatic Indian and beyond her a large Nordic looking man. Not until the third revolution was he able to determine what was so odd about the man. The right arm, from a point just below the elbow, was red. It seemed to lack the outer layer of skin. A few seconds later, several rows away, he saw a male adult body lacking the skin and all the muscles of the face. There were other bodies that were not quite complete. Far away, glimpsed unclearly, was a skeleton and a jumble of organs inside it. He continued turning and observing while his heart slammed against his chest with terror. But then he understood that he was in some colossal chamber, and that the metal rods were radiating some force that somehow supported and revolved millions, maybe billions, of human beings. Where was this place? Certainly, it was not the city of Trieste of the Austro-Hungarian Empire of 1890. It's a pretty good reading, I must say. I could not have done that. Yeah, it really gave some depth to those things. That's one of those chapters you read in a book where you're like, okay, wait a minute, what's the the, the distance? Okay, and I'm gonna try to let me try to mentally it, it, figure it is, this it is out. It's very important what this looks like. They're giving me all this information, but they're giving me so much information that, that I have to structure it architecturally. You have to pause yeah. to figure it out. That's, yeah. reading that just made me go like, what was that? That was ninth grade. I'm reading that. And I'm like, 
This is cool. There's a naked lady. Look <laughs> <laughs> oh, at the boat. Her, her breasts are heaving. See, that, that kind of happened to me when I just read it the other day, except I got that by when he described the skeleton with the jumbled organs. I was oh. like, ooh, a skeleton with ooh. jumbled organs. I got to go to the bathroom for a <laughs> I can take the book with me. <laughs> You'll notice that page is a bit sticky. I did notice it. that. Okay. I didn't want to bring it up. Well, like, I, no. I brought it up. Get it? Yes. Okay. We're talking about erections. Erection. Penis. Yes. Erection. That's to your scattered bodies go. And uh, we're going to be discussing what the next book is in the next segment. What do you got for us, Hex? I have Hunting by Knife City. He's the uh, the drummer of Animanaguchi, and it is his solo chiptune set. Uh, his self-titled album is his first complete album, and it was released on 8bitpeoples.com. This is the first track on it, and it's pretty damn fun. And I thought... Uh, with Richard Francis Burton hunting down the ethicals that uh, th- it seemed an appropriate track. It's reaching, but it's also rad. Let's play it. Once you start with this voice, you can't stop. Ladies and gentlemen, hunting by Knife City. Enjoy. Oh, my God. 
Aside from To Your Scattered Bodies Go, what did everybody read? I, I, I've had other projects, including writing, so I'm going <sighs> to step back and watch y'all you're talk. Just, you're just a little writer now. Yeah. Y'all yeah. is bitches. This isn't the writing I, show. I, I, I read something. What'd you read, Colin? Unfortunately, well, no one cares because Colin sucks. Well, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> shut up, Hex. When I was on the John Hex Carter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was uh, reading an additional book. Um, this is a uh, young adult book by M.T. Anderson, who actually has written a bunch of um, young adult books. And this one in particular was called Feed. Feed. <laughs> you have to say it twice just so we understand what you're saying. Feed. Actually, it's Feed, Feed. That's that's the title. Oh, okay. Feed, uh, Feed. Just kidding. No, it's no. not. It's just Feed. Um, <laughs> basically, no. Basically, this book, um, Feed, uh, is about this... Um, the verb or the noun? Uh, Ooh. The, the noun, yes. The way that this book is basically set up is that it's in the, the near future um, where they it's set around these, these high school students. One of them is named Titus, and the other one is Violet. Um, those end up being the two main characters. But basically what ends up happening is these people, all of, all the high schoolers, and basically every single person has these things called the feed, um, and it's basically a computer chip that is inside your brain that connects you to essentially the internet, where you can chat with each other, you can purchase things by just looking at them, you can, you know, access school, you porn, can, yeah, porn, all sorts thing. of stuff. Yeah, 
Exactly. So, and that's basically what the feed is. But anyway, so they end up going to the moon uh, as like an afternoon. <laughs> you know, but anyway, hey, they just end up going to the moon, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they end up going to the moon in this afternoon trip. And on the moon, they actually um, run into these anti-feed, uh, uh, this anti-feed activist who ends whalers? up in plant who ends up like giving all of the people who were around to hear him talk a virus Ooh, he, I like he implants that. a virus yeah through their feed he implants a virus inside of their brain and this is for um, young adults yes with that virus uh it's a very debil- debilitating virus and they go to essentially the hospital to get tech support where their brains are basically put back together in a way so that they can function because they are so connected to the feed that without the feed they don't really know what to do with each other or how to interact with each other or how to live it's so, like if someone uh, uh, hacked the uh, the smart brain in uh an old man's war yes yeah it's like the, the brain pal yeah brain pal so yeah, exactly so but um this this book was written in 2002 and what ends up happening is all of the other high schoolers end up getting fixed, but Violet, who has a a lower end feed connection, actually cannot get fixed. Um, her basically her brain pal, her feed connection is essentially out of warranty, huh. so she is fucked. She is slowly dying and her brain is slowly shutting down and her body is slowly shutting down because of this virus put into her by the anti-feed organization. Whoa. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But the the crazy thing about this book is it's written in the style of if people would speak to each other in this kind of truncated leet speak language which i just imagine the entire dialogue of the book when you're reading is like <clears throat> lol wtf bbq and there's like no it actual is. coherent sentences no brandon it is written like that so oh, essentially Jesus. when you start reading the book it's very difficult to get into <laughs> so this is like cocker orange for kids Kind of, yeah, and it's very difficult to get into because it's you, you can't really understand. A lot of times, some of the acronyms, some of the acronyms, you can't, you don't know what they're describing until much, much later in the book. So the book is a giant text message. So it is like clockwork orange. Like I had to read that thing. It wasn't until halfway through that I became fluent <laughs> in their in their their gobbledygook. And I'm like, well, you, I gotta you, start you keep, it over. You keep your pinky finger like stuck in the dictionary in the back, so you can constantly flip back to it. See, no, I just I just powered through, and then once I actually mm-hmm. understood it, I just hopped back and started over again. Yeah, that's how I read it. It's uh, it's absolutely crazy. You know, it's a it's a very 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 crazy book. They end up also like they end up taking drugs and that gives different like they go to like basically like websites like 4chan and stuff like that that give them like drug like effects and stuff like that by connecting to these different things on the feed and all this kind of stuff. So like they do like high school things, but like they will like chat with each other via the feed while other people are chatting with other people and there's this like all these side conversations and like they go to a house party where there's no actual music that you can hear with your ears but you plug into the feed of that house party so that you can then listen to the to the music that's happening there Silent um, yeah so it's it's pretty uh crazy i mean what ends up happening violet uh and titus well i'm not going to give away exactly what happens in the end but i mean like there's some other 
really kind of crazy things that happen in the book where they people can like similar to Google where they track what your buying habits are and like what you're interested in. Um, you can then have your information, your feeds sold to different advertising campaigns and different advertising companies so that they can then send you things that are relevant to you so that you would purchase them. So it's <clears throat> It's crazy, and it's was written in 2002, and the thing that I find most interesting is that it really, I feel, accurately describes where I believe we could potentially be going to in the future. That's, that's pretty the- great, actually. Written in 2002, sounds like it could have been written today, and show, yeah. showcases a more, a more probable fiction of the future than Old Man's War did when it was written in 2005. I mean, it's like, it's like... I guess to Old Man's War being 1984, this would be uh, Brave New World. Yeah. No, it's a very interesting book. It's very difficult to read. It's not an easy read by any stretch. I mean, it's not hard, but it's not like you're not going to fly through this book because your brain stops when you're reading these sentences because you can't just flow through each page because it's really difficult to read a lot of what's happening. It's on, just because your old Colin middle schoolers could fly through that fucking book in a they, day. Honestly, they probably could. Yeah. And I'm on Tumblr enough that I might be able to read it. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's actually kind of it's 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 kind of scary because it's so true. You know, with like things like the Google goggles and like the fact that not Google goggles, the Google glass and the fact that I know that they are talking about what is it that they that there are nerve endings or something like that or some sort of something that can is controlled by the human body or something within the human body that can control electrical uh, devices. Well, there's the cat ears, the uh, remote control cat ears that um, powered by the brain. That the powered by the, which is the same uh, same brain activity response stuff that they use in the uh, Star Wars uh, Force playset thing, where you basically your brain controls a small fan that allows you to like levitate a ball. And by the way, if you're really depressed, it's hard to levitate that ball. By the way, <laughs> which does not <laughs> is, help with your. Is depression. that what you're talking about, Colin? The like the the brainwave uh, detection stuff. I believe so. I mean, like, there's there's that and some other things that I know that, that are in existence that I'm sure that John would probably have answers to immediately. But the fact that these things are happening now and just the fact that I know that with corporate America and with consumerism and advertising, you know that it's going to – some of this stuff is de- definitely going to be going in the direction. I mean, it's – I mean, they're talking about how within the next 50 years we're going to be having – essentially implants in some way of some sort of electrical um in the electrical field right you know? yeah this, so. sound, this book sounds very similar to kind of the technology and ghosts in the shell yeah this very sound very ghost in the shell like which which is they're both based on realistic ideas of the future so you know obviously they're going to end at, at the same conclusion at some point yeah, but it's basically like these things, the, the feed goes into the people at birth. There, A lot of people don't have any um, concept of what the world is like without the feed. Interesting. Uh, so it really is a dependency. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, and, and, and you know, also too, like there's stuff like, you know, future stuff like in vitro, like fertilization stuff that like, you know, is genetically changed so that everyone gets the perfect child and the people who can't pay for it can't get it and yada, yada, yada. So, um, but it's a, it's a, I, I would recommend it. It's a very interesting, very interesting. It doesn't leave you happy. Does anything, Colin? Pie. No. Sure. Uh, uh, Ready Player One. I loved that book, but th- this book, I, I, I mean, I still love it, but it's just very. 
Yeah, I'm looking up the, some words on Wikipedia now, like some of the vocabulary. Well, LOL like, means laugh out loud, Colin. And then no, no, you've got Rothwell. Like, no, anyway, so the, the like you have like a unit, like a male is called a unit and a unit is a female. Ah. Huh. <laughs> Null is a feeling of boredom or disinterest. No. Bones bracket is a feeling of shame or humiliation. Meg is an intensifier equivalent to various. So like that's Meg awesome or like that's Meg cool. So like there's all sorts of that kind of stuff that you just have to use context clues to be able to figure out. (laughs) Do they they, they use the terms crash the mode at all? (laughs) No. Okay. It just just sounds like... I get a high five. That is so mode, Brandon. That is so mode. It's better than Crash. So that was so that was Feed and uh, by M.T. Anderson, and I would recommend it, but you don't have to take my word for it. Book I'm in the middle of reading right now is called WYSIWYG, and it's by Ed Piscor. It's a WYSIWYG portrait of a serial hacker. I picked it up at Heroes Con, and I've already talked about it on Nerdy Show Comic Show a little bit, so I'm not going to go too too into it. It's it's scientific, so book club readers are probably interested in in it, and uh, and it's pretty awesome. It's a uh, it's it's fiction, but it's based very very heavily on uh, real world hacking from uh, from the early '80s, of like starting with basic phone hacking, uh, like just kind of tricking the system and uh, escalating to computers and so on, and uh, the a young man becoming basically a serial hacker of uh, of the 1990s and how how he got there and it's based on a lot of the people who actually live this lifestyle and a lot of their stories and it's a really good read so far I'm, I'm really enjoying it uh, the book that I did read in full so far is actually our next book for the community read along and it's called more stories about spaceships and cancer by Casper Kelly. Yeah, I read the first chapter of this because Cap sent it to me. Oh my god, this is uh, the weirdest and most fun thing that I have read in a really long time. Can, can you explain to the the good folks at home who Casper Kelly? Yes, yes. Okay, why they should be excited? Casper yeah, Kelly is a writer for uh, a bunch of Adult Swim shows. He's been working with Cartoon Network for a very long time. If you guys remember. Back when Blair Witch came out, there was a, a live-action Scooby-Doo thing featuring a live-action video but animated characters that was a parody of the Blair Witch Project. The the gang drives out in the mystery machine, like, uh, running through the forest and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that now. That's Casper Kelly's project. He won an Annie for that. Uh, and he's worked on adult swim shows like uh, Squidbilly, Stroker and Hoop, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, uh, Harvey Birdman, and others. Like, some of my favorite shows. So I was super excited to check this book out. And then when I did, I was just floored. It's a collection of short stories, and they're all wildly original. In fact, one of them ties into a discussion we had in the last episode, um, something that I'm very concerned with, which is, you know, other themes that we talk about on a regular basis here at Nerdy Show, augmentation, and how uh, an augmentation to the human body could eliminate our need to poop. And there's a story called uh, Taking a Shit in the Future, and it's about uh, it's about the societal uh, situation of what if that happens? How do things progress for humanity when uh, bit by bit people just stop pooping? I won't get any more reading done, obviously. It's all it's all uh, it's all confronted there, and the entire book is actually framed by a crypt keeper style introduction from a, <laughs> uh, a skeleton man and a ki- bunch of other characters. All the stories are very different from each other, but a lot of them actually do tag back to something that we, to the singularity themes that we talk about of like kind of where our our generation's psyche will be as life expectancy starts getting longer and longer and the, the concept of the human experience starts changing drastically. There's also 
on a completely different side of things, there's a story called Sneezy, uh, which is all about the the dwarf from Snow White, Sneezy, mm-hmm. and uh, and his feelings towards Snow White. Yeah, I mean, there's also like like the the first the very first chapter in the book is the sensitive person's joke book, and it's a joke. the The joke is a man and a duck walk into a bar. The bartender says, "I'm sorry, we don't serve gorillas." This isn't a gorilla. He's a duck, says the man. The bartender replies, I was talking to the duck. (laughs) (laughs) What? That's how the book starts. (laughs) And that's how the book starts. Now, here's the thing. That chapter is about all of those people in it. It's about the bartender, the duck, and the man. It's about, it's, it then continues with the man and the duck sit quietly for a moment. Somewhere in the distance, the pool balls collide. Like, it goes on after these, after this joke. And then it also talks about, like, a there's a, a rabbi, and uh, oh, it's just, it's hilarious. <laughs> and and let, let, me, let me actually read you the table of contents. Help, I'm trapped in the table of contents. No, seriously. These are not short story titles. Flip through the book and page numbers don't even correspond to anything. Being attacked by swarms of spider slash bat-like things. No, I have no idea how I got here. I'm bleeding and low on bullets. Here comes another wave. Fuck. Hold on. Hold on. I think the page numbers correspond to the number of creatures attacking each successive wave. Hell, shit. (laughs) Try shaking the book. Try something. Blow on the pages. Not sure if you did it or not. It didn't work. Almost out of story title slots that I can use to communicate. I'll save the last bullet for myself. Acknowledgements. This book is amazing, and I want everybody to read it. Um, in the next also, episode, I'll have you know that this book is for you. <laughs> Wait, who? Me? Yeah, that's, that's the dedication for you. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, I that's brilliant. I absolutely love this book, and we are going to have Casper Kelly on the next episode of Nerdy Show Book Club. It's a great read. I read it in one sitting. Uh, it helped that I was on an airplane, but it would have been really hard to stop if I was anywhere else. It was admittedly, eight-hour sitting. So that that is the next Nerdy Show community read-along book. Uh, more stories about spaceships and cancer by Casper Kelly. If you go on his website, casperkelly.com, you can actually buy an autographed copy for $15. What a deal! And it comes in other formats as well. So we'll have links to all that on the Nerdy Show Book Club page, along with links to everything else we've talked about in this episode. Let's cut to a song, and then when we get back, we're going to read from an adaptation of a film. Well, since you talked about Ed Pisker, I thought I'd bring up Adam Warrock. Because as we're recording this, his donation drive is coming to an end. And a part of his donation drive was that Adam Warrock wrote an autobiographical comic about himself. And it was drawn by Ed Pisker, the artist and writer of WYSIWYG. So the song we have uh, to go out of this segment. So I'm just making noise at this point. Is uh, this song, which he kicked off the donation drive this year with his first ever professional music video which is a music video to this song. Enjoy. But everything I like to touch is like Midas 
it in my chest and I know that I'm blessed because I make music so honest and honestly I promise these few things my mama she told me you gotta do it so you try and be the best so I do that got a couple fans do my best and stay true to that true that I rarely look back sometimes I gotta laugh cause these people dig my tracks but they say they hate rap and I don't even rap man I'm singing on these tracks off key because the damn melody distracts from what I truly want to say and if you missed it probably wasn't even important cause I don't really revisit it each song's a tombstone a grip for those feelings that I'm not fully equipped to deal with and it screams out my belly and throat until it quits then I just post it up and say forget about it those lonely nights it's when I stay Before we dive in to our <laughs> film adaptation <laughs> readings, that's a little cue as to what we're going to be reading. Dive in. Um, we're gonna we're gonna just a little bit, do a little bit of community news here. We recently concluded our uh, RPG support drive, which you mentioned prior, and uh, the winner of that was Paranoia XP. So we're going to be playing a Paranoia one shot. I'll hail the computer. But uh, leading up to that, there were a lot of great messages that were included with, with support funds from our fans. And so I wanted to read some of them. The lead contender was Dresden Files, and a, and a big uh, sponsor of that was Trench 88. Dresden Files was sponsored by Gary Ur, Trench 88, Caitlin Kruger, Ethan Kruger, and Oberlock. Trench 88, the lead contributor to that, said, um, As a man who has literally laughed in the face of death, I say fuck the computer. Uh... In all honesty, I'd rather listen to you guys play Mass Effect or Serenity, but maybe next time. I'm supporting the Dresden Files, keeping it interesting until the end. Connor yes, Benson, so one of the last guys to contribute to us uh, in the support drive, when it was clearly Dresden Files or Paranoia XP by hundreds of dollars, he threw a dollar to Dragon Age. Nah. He said, for Dragon Age, still time for a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. There was not. Um, Stuart Edney contributed to Gamma World, and uh, Mass Effect was sponsored by Mauron and Trench 88, and Trench 88 also did chip in for Serenity early on. In, uh, in I love you, Mauron. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Mauron. Mauron. Mau- Mauron. <laughs> I love him. 
Par- Paranoia XP was the fan favorite by uh, a landslide. Uh, both Paranoia and Dresden Files were actually suggested by fans. We put out a list of um, potential systems for us to play with. And uh, and our fans said, fuck you, we know better than right. you. It's true. They sure did. And uh, Paranoia actually sounds like it's going to be fantastic. I'm excited for it. Uh, it was uh, sponsored by Gary Ur, Tolan, Viral Demon, Two Thumbs, Gimpy Joe, Anduin, Stuart Edney, Arceus, Pierre Olivier, Olivier, the third, P- and Congas eighty eight. Donkey Congas eighty eight. Oh God! <laughs> Viral Demon said, "I th- see things are getting interesting. I'll put this down for Paranoia XP and have Audrey play friend computer." Audrey is, of course, if you've listened to the uh, season finale of Mark with the C's, the Real Congregation podcast here on Nerdy Show, you know that Audrey is the text-to-speech robot who ran Mark's finale because Mark was uh, asked by the doctor to not use his voice and give it a little bit of rest. <laughs> so uh, She's a very good host. Aud- Audrey is a good host. Very good host. Um, so I think we're going to see Audrey make her uh, return to the Nerdy Show airwaves in the form of Paranoia XP as the computer. we got to talk with Mark about that. We'll see if he'll let her out of the box. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, Audrey was a good host, so maybe she can handle this acting gig. I know she's really, she's very interested in uh, in success in dollar bills. Uh, Pierre says, donating uh, for Paranoia because, one, I like hearing my name on the podcast, and two, even though the books are amazing, fuck Dresden Files. <laughs> oh. Uh, Giffy Joe said, Paranoia XP is exactly what I needed to start the long path of shutting you up and giving you my money. This is his first <laughs> contribution. <laughs> it was the very first system I DM'd, and damn it if this won't get me to pull it out again. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what, how, how long has it been Ooh. since you pulled it out? Wait, is he pulling it out and then fucking the Dresden file books? Because, man, you're going to get a fucking paper cut. I'm just telling you what. Well, that's two different people, but maybe they can get together on this. Yeah, there we go. Meet on the forums or something. Hookups. Forum hookups. Nerdy forum hookups. Don't do that, please. Please don't do that on the forums. Don't, don't make, too late. You don't make, don't make forum babies. You better do not this. make forum babies. Uh, Anduin says, Paranoia XP, because the prospect of insanity overwhelms me, and maybe this electroshock sedative will finally calm my nerves. <laughs> Arceus said, like any fine, upstanding, totally non-mutant citizen, I am voicing my support for Paranoia. <laughs> all hail the mighty, all-knowing computer. May its warm and life-giving glow smite its enemies forever. Stuart Edney, who previously contributed towards Gamma World, something we're also very excited to play someday, said, stick it on Paranoia XP, it's a good game and deserves playing. Tolan contributed to Paranoia and said, I found Paranoia works well in the one-shot format, so this should be fun. After all, fun is mandatory. The computer says so, and the computer is your friend. Do you doubt the computer? Doubting the computer is treason. Report all treason to friend computer and be exterminated. And remember, if you weren't guilty, we wouldn't be interrogating you. God. Are you excited he, for this, Brandon? That person tried a scenario. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, it sounds awesome. <laughs> and we also got some amazing support from a guy named I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to say this right. Gui Nero Loki, Loki to his friends. I finished episode 21 of Dungeons and Doritos today, and then started it again. Nerdy show, mostly Dungeons and Doritos, has become the means by which I pass the time in my truck while I'm out on service calls. You fine gentlemen, occasionally ladies, and outright bastards are doing wonderful work. I'm looking forward to the Paranoia XP one-shot, or more, as it looks like it's going to win. It's a fun system, though I've mainly only played the zap style of the game. I can't reveal any more, and I've probably already said too much, as knowledge of the rules is treason. The computer's your friend, trust computer. I think we met him at the uh, the PAX meetup. I remember talking to that guy, and he just like he had his job kept him in a truck going around doing tasks all day, and just 
headphones that's listen nice. to nerdy show nonstop. It does oh, sound yeah. like horrible though. Thanks everyone for writing in. We uh, we love when you send notes, uh, funny notes with uh, with your support, and we also love when you just write in to say hey. It's always great. So we read a book from the Riverworld series. Yeah, yeah. So now we're gonna read the novelization of Waterworld. <laughs> Are you excited, <laughs> Colin? Uh, who's this? No- who's this Waterworld novelization by? This is written by a novel by Max Allen Collins, based on the motion picture written by Peter Rader and David Twathy. <laughs> it was ten cents. I had no idea that Twathy was involved with the Waterworld. That Twathy. No wonder I loved it. <laughs> Just as the hourglass ran out of fish eggs, tripping the gear lever, pulling in the drag line, the salvage bag popped up on the surface near the trimmeran, and the mariner's head bobbed up. The bag was brimming with booty. The silver discs labeled Compact Disc Digital Audio. What had these been for, he wondered. A knobless square red plastic chunk with a grey screen. This was labeled Etch-a-Sketch. Some empty glass bottles, some plastic bottles too, and more. A good haul, too much in fact, for all of it to make it to the salvage pouch. He pulled himself up on the deck, dripping wet. Flushed with success, depositing a few of the choicer items onto the deck of the central hull. Some of these were too large for the pouch anyway. A bent ski pole, a broken ski, a discoloured pair of ski boots joined by the laces. The first time in all his treasure trawling that he'd ever snagged a pair of shoes. The rest of his bounty remained in the floating bag. He'd have to tug that up on deck too, or before long it would drift out of reach. But he allowed himself a moment to focus on one tiny precious item. He'd run across one of these before, and he'd seen other traders with working examples, but he had himself never found one that would work. A big it was labeled, but the mariner had called them lighters. These round little sticks. He flicked it. A flame erupted from the big's tip, and a smile erupted on the mariner's leathery face. Now wasn't this surprise. (laughs) His attention snapped at the dual sound of the creak of a boat and the churning of the wake it was creating in these still waters. He flew to the harpoon gun mounted on the bow and swung it towards the sounds. Was this a boat approaching or departing? Departing. The mariner instantly knew. This patched together clumsy looking sloop, smaller than his ship, must have glided up while he was below the surface. Had its one man captain and crew, an Asian drifter in scroungy scraps of leather and cloth, taken the opportunity in the mariner's absence to board the ship for some quick looting? The Asian at the tiller of the sloop froze in the sights of the harpoon gun. His nervous smile was multicolored, running mostly to shades of yellow and green, but mini-toothed. Cautiously, he raised his arms. I didn't board you, the Asian said in Hindi. I wouldn't do such a thing. The mariner kept a gun trained on the drifter, but risked a glance around the trimaran. Nothing seemed missing. He lowered the gun slightly, but kept the gun sight trained on the man. You were down there a long time, the Asian said, still speaking Hindi. Thought maybe something happened to you, Mr. Burton. Or were you hoping? The mariner, a fish boy from Atlantis, replied in the same tongue. Sorry. <laughs> That's not in the book. <laughs> I make some changes. It's better this way. Uh, no, it, no English. No English, Mr. Burton. You the, have brought upon us well to make me learn English, Mr. Burton. 
the Asian said, switching to a heavily accented English. I wish bad luck on no man, except maybe smokers. Smokers were the worst breed of pirate in Waterworld. Barbarians in the sway of a vicious madman called the Deacon. The mariner took a step away from his harpoon gun, a sign of good faith. That depends on whether you consider smokers men. More like beasts, the Asian said, suspicion tightening his still smiling face. But tell me, how does a man stay underwater so long? So a long a time. Hulls busted! <laughs> the mariner said with a casual gesture. Hulls so big, there's room to stick your head up and breathe! Bad luck! <laughs> the Asian said, shaking his head. He lowered his hands cautiously. But you know, the slavers are producing a good trade of potsy these days, Mr. Burton. <laughs> the salvage bag of booty was floating past the sloop. <laughs> Did the Asian drifter notice it? The mariner said. But it would cost dearly a handful of dirt, or maybe that wind chime, or a breeder, if you're the kind of man who deals in the flesh. The mariner watched his booty bag sail away, <laughs> caught by the curve. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, watch your booty bag float away. Mm. Bitch. Girl, the mariner watched his booty bag sail away. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the mariner watched his booty bag sail away, caught by the current, that deceptively calm current. What are you doing? He asked the drifter. Oh, this and that. What were you doing waiting alongside my boat? The Asian's grin returned. Just that, uh, waiting, waiting uh, for you. For me? For you uh, not to come up here. <laughs> The Asian shrugged. Then I would have aborted your ship. The booty bag was still in sight. If his <laughs> guest would only leave, the mariner could retrieve it. But he revealed no anxiety as he said, Your boat looks familiar. I've seen it before, but not you. The Asian shrugged again. Its previous owner didn't need it no more. Why is that? He was dead, English. Took it legal salvage rights. The Asian nodded toward the, the trimaran. You had another hour before you traded up again? That's right. This time he shrugged with only one shoulder. Just improving my means can't blame a man. At least you waited, I owe you that much. Raggedy half-gloved hands rubbed the air. No, no, you owe me nothing, English. I got all the supplies I need. See, I just come from an atoll. Eight days due east, if you're interested. The mariner nodded and looked towards the eastern horizon, watching his salvage bag drift away. Almost absently, he said, Two of our kind meet. Something's got to be exchanged. I know the code as well as you, English. The mariner's eyes remained on the horizon, but the bag was no longer his main concern. Casually, he said, You could have taken my boat. I should repay you. The Asian waved that off. Too readily. Tell you what, give you this one for free. Something else out there on the horizon. Nothing's free in Waterworld! The mariner said. <laughs> two puffs of smoke curled from two distant dots on the water. But across that water came a sound that seemed much closer than those dots' engines. Missing badly, but at full throttle. The Asian heard it too, and whipped his head around towards where the mariner was watching. Smokers, Mr. Batting. The Asian whispered hollowly, eyes wide with fear. He wet a finger to the air, checking the wind. Just enough wind to get away. Luck to you, the mariner said. And to you. 
the Asian said, swinging the boom out, adjusting his sail, and immediately the scraggly sloop was tacking off. The mariner was looking at his floating salvage bag, and now the Asian has paused in his zigzag course long enough to spot it as well. It's not worth it, English. He called, shaking his head so violently his body shook too, and two small, almost round green objects tumbled out of his ragged shirt on the sloop's deck. The mariner flashed a look at his lime tree, and saw it had been stripped of its oh-so-very-valuable fruit. But the sloop was on its way now, and its raggedy captain was again shrugging and flashing his colorful tooth-scarce grin. See, you paid me after all, English, he called. The mariner didn't waste a curse on the sea scum. He had other things to do. <laughs> Turning to his steering console, he threw levers that converted the ship into something quite unexpected. The eggbeater sail folded into the mast, which extended to twice its height, and the boom appeared from out of the center of the hull's deck. Sails unfurled, jib mainsail mizzen, as the traveler suddenly, almost magically, transformed into a sleek racing yacht. Yanking the tiller in lines, the mariner headed straight for the bobbing booty bag, and the tamarind... <laughs> The, the tamarind cutting tamarind. across trimarin. The, sorry, the, the, <laughs> the monkey. <laughs> the trimarind cutting across the glass surface like a speeding arrow. Others were bearing down on the booty bag too. Those dots on the horizon had blossomed into a horrible quartet. The four barely dressed brutes were smokers, as the drifter had called it, as fierce as they were stupid. They rode go-juice, burning water sleds, known in the ancient times as jet skis, whose snarling, smoke-pluming engines tore the plastic afternoon to shreds as they bore in on the bobbing pouch. The mariner knew how savage these dim-witted, muscle-bound marauders were. Being smarter wasn't enough. He'd have to be faster, too. He worked the tiller, trimming the sails, doing the work of an entire crew in fleeting instants. The trimaran was flying at 40 knots when the ship rounded the salvage bag. A long gaff pole in hand, he scrambled out onto an outrigger hull and slagged the bag even as the ship was coming about hard. <laughs> sure was coming about hard. About this hard. The trimaran was going in the opposite direction. As the four pirates on jet skis almost tumbled off their perches, bringing their little crafts around to take pissed off pursuit, making foamy wakes. <laughs> Make, <laughs> making foamy wakes, their cruises of. He has the Beatles now, Ringo. <laughs> Making foamy wakes, their curses a blur of guttural sound blending with the growl of their air fouling engines. Up ahead, you could see her, the Asian Drifter Sloop. He charted a collision course and was damn near on top of the drifter before the half-dozing man, a half-eaten lime in one hand, realized those crystal-clear engine sounds weren't coming to him across the water, but were perilously close. The Asian tossed the lime like it had suddenly turned red-hot and tried desperately to trim his sails, yanking the sheets to pick up some speed, but the mariner's trimaran was closing in on him, and the smokers were ripping across the water, zeroing in on the mariner's stern. The Asian let out a pitiful yelp, Aye! Ha-ha! That didn't have time to turn into a scream, as the trimaran, on its collision course, suddenly sheeted in... Suddenly sheeted in... <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, suddenly shitted in on one side, <laughs> drenching the sloop's deck in its captain. <laughs> Fuck me! God. Anyway, sorry. As the trimaran on its collision course suddenly sheeted in on one side, drenching the sloop's deck and its captain, 
lifting the nearest outrigger hull over the sloop like the wing of a bird. But that wing snapped, the smaller boat's mainmast cracking it too. Looking back as the crestfallen captain of the now floundering sloop, its mainsail an impotent thing, flapping on the deck, the mariner raised a scolding finger and sent the man a stern look. You don't break the code! It was a lesson the drifter was unlikely to live to profit from, considering the whooping war cries of the savages who were now bearing down on him. Whoop! 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 The smokers had, as the mariner knew they would, abandoned their pursuit of him in favor of swooping in on this easier wounded prey. You shouldn't have taken the limes! The mariner said to the air. After all, nothing was free in Waterworld. And that concludes our Nerdy Show um, book club. Now, we actually recorded that thing twice because we came up with a funny idea. And so if you send us support, you will get the entire alternate reading, both of them equally funny for very different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So thanks so much for listening. Be sure to pick up Casper Kelly's book, More Stories About Spaceships and Cancer, and read it along with us for the next episode. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Hex. I'm Brandon. I'm Colin. And taking us out is Come Sail Away by Styx. Set an open course for the virgins. <laughs> oh my god. I've got to be free. Free to face the light. That's ahead of me. Something, something. On board, I'm a mariner. <laughs> so climb I'm aboard. Dry land doesn't exist. I'm sure you know. I've <laughs> tried. Oh, how I've tried <laughs> to carry on. Something about angels and spaceships <laughs> to the sky. I thought they were angels, but to my surprise, oh. I climbed aboard a starship and headed to the sky. The skies. <laughs> Come sail away. Come sail away. Come sail away. Let's not play the song, let's just do this. Okay. Okay, we're done. That's what you've listened to, bud. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Nerdy Show. Nerdy Show is brought to you by a comic shop, Nerdapalooza, and the Avito branch of Play and Trade, and listeners like you. If you enjoyed what you heard, support Nerdy Show by telling a friend, or better yet, pick up some Nerdy Show merch at the Nerdy Show store, or donate directly for secret nerdy goodies. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, Dungeons and Doritos, comics, videos, and more, visit nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store. For the latest news and updates, follow us on Twitter at Nerdy Show or friend us on Facebook and get social with other Nerdy Show listeners at nerdyshow.com slash forums. Contact us with questions or comments at info at nerdyshow.com. Take cool.